Reading today from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 16. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may able to stand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Thank you, Bruce, for reading. I think it was around 15 years ago, I was on a trip with a friend and we were headed toward uh, Uganda. The way our itinerary worked is we had a long layover in London. It was one of those deals where we got in like super early in the morning and we weren't leaving till pretty late in the evening. And I thought this would be a great opportunity with my friend to see London. And so we chose that day to do just a crazy whirlwind tour. And I, I'm positive London's a huge city. I'm positive we didn't see everything, but we saw so many things and so many things. And it was uh, impressive and kind of taking it all in. It was sensory overload as we saw that and things that I'd read about and thought about for a long, long time, actually being able to see them. And I think we made a good choice in doing a whirlwind tour of seeing everything possible. And yet, and yet as I've thought about it, I have thought you could do, I could have done that day differently. As amazing as it was to see London and see all these different sites, I could have done that day a tad differently. And that would be to just pick maybe one site, one particular place. And to spend a long time there because in the whirlwind tour, I mean, it's just minutes, it's almost seconds at some of these places of seeing them. But what would it have been like to actually spend a, a long time in one of those places? And I thought about that for this message because our subject today, as we look at God's word, our subject is faith. Our subject is faith and you literally could do a whirlwind tour around scripture. You could go from Genesis to Revelation and talk about a uh, hundred different aspects of faith, a hundred different examples of faith. And all of those I think would be helpful. But I kept coming back to maybe it would just be most helpful to spend some time like at one spot, one aspect of faith rather than just looking at this verse, this verse, this verse, this verse, and looking at a hundred things. We've been talking about life as a battleground, a spiritual battleground. And as we've thought about that, I want to reset a little bit in Ephesians 6. I mean, Bruce read it, but just so we have a reset here before we dive into the subject of faith. Ephesians 6 says we are in a present evil world. That's the language, a present evil world. And as you heard him read earlier, there are hostile forces against our spiritual well-being. And not only are there evil forces and we're living in an evil world, that is hostile to everything God has created. There are also strategies and schemes of the evil one. Strategies and schemes that would 
if just let go would destroy our faith. And then you come to a verse like verse 16 in Ephesians 6, and it says, add to all of that flaming arrows that are coming our way if we are in Christ. Flaming, fiery arrows meant to Meant to strike terror. That was what, in Roman times, that's what a flaming arrow would have done. It would have just been terrifying to see that come in. And so the analogy is one here. One writer has said these flaming arrows, spiritually speaking, are like every type of assault devised by the evil one. The flaming arrows are the temptations to impure thoughts and unloving conduct. The flaming arrows are false teaching that would mislead us, persecution that would harm us, doubt and despair, these flaming arrows that are coming. And in addition, if we didn't just have an evil world, if we didn't just have hostile evil forces lining up against us, as well as flaming arrows coming at us, if that wasn't enough, we're human. Which means we're not omnicompetent, which means we have limitations, which also means each one of us is sinful. And we know what sin does. Sin messes everything up every single time. A lot of things seem to be aligned against us, but Scripture tells us as much as that is true, the Lord is with us. The Lord is with us. As much as the, the bleak picture that we just kind of can, can process and appreciate from Ephesians 6, it does get met with something that is much, much greater. And that is that God is for us. And we are told then to stand firm. And he promises that we can be strengthened, not in our own strength, but strengthened in him with the power of his might. We're given armor to wear, spiritual armor, to fight in a battle where we know the outcome is certain. So this is the picture. This is the whole picture. And today we're also told as part of that armor, and we've been looking piece by piece at that armor, we're told today that one of those pieces of armor that we are to take up is the shield of faith. We have a shield for our protection. Fire, fiery arrows are coming at us. What is going to protect you? It's a shield. And think of not just a small shield, but a large shield that will defend you. And what kind of shield is this that is going to protect you? The wording matters. It's not. The shield that we are, are meant to have as protection for us, that shield is not a shield of intellect and knowledge not just acquiring all this stuff that will help shield us. That's not what it says. It's also not a shield of maturity as if like, well, I've been there and done that. So that's my shield. I've been through stuff like this before. And so that's my shield of protection. And the shield isn't a shield of independence and self-reliance, of mental toughness, emotional toughness, as if that's what we can put up for our defense. That's not the shield. What is the shield? It's called a shield of faith. A shield of faith. We can make faith into this super spiritual word. But at its core, I mean, synonyms for faith are just like confidence, dependence, belief, trust, relying, and it is that kind of one aspect of faith that I really want to drill down on today. And that is that, that kind of idea of reliance. Particularly, I want us to realize that faith 
We could say a lot more about it, but faith is a relationship of reliance. I mean, for all the other things you would want to say and I would want to say about faith, it is at its core a relationship of reliance, a relationship of dependence. It is confident trust in Jesus Christ receiving his power that will protect us. That's faith. It's laying hold of what God has given, especially his power. That's faith. It's using what God has given us as a firm resolve to douse these flaming arrows that are coming at us. This is the shield of faith. To really fully appreciate what faith is, I think it's important that we correct misunderstandings of what faith is. Because I feel like that word gets pretty squishy in the way people use it. It's like hard to define. Like what, we, what exactly are we talking about? And I, I want to make sure we understand that faith is a relationship of reliance. It's not just a leap in the dark. I say that and I think it's important for us to appreciate that. A leap in the dark where we act on something even though we have no evidence, we have no facts, no proof, no validation. We just take a leap in the dark. I find that that's the way actually faith is defined in a lot of cases, especially by the world we're living in. I think one of the things as I talk to uh, my friends that are Christians and scientists, and there are many in our congregation, one of the things that drives them absolutely crazy is how faith is, seems to be pitted against science in our world. As if, like, well, you can either have one or the other, but, but they're mutually exclusive. As if faith is just asleep in the dark. No one really knows what will happen. No one can really prove what's going to go on in the future in the spiritual realm. And so because we can't see something, we can't really guarantee it. And so we're, we're going to pit it against the things that we can really observe. You know, the facts. Actually, though, there are all kinds of things that we can't guarantee about the future, things that we don't see with our own eyes, that, but we still act upon. There, there are acts of faith all over. So if you were to, this afternoon, go to an airport, tomorrow morning go to an airport, there would be literally thousands of people. All, these, these are people of faith because they are going to rely on an airline's promise, on a mechanic to do his job, on an inspector to do her job. They're going to rely, they're going to put their faith on something they, they haven't seen. They're going to put their confidence, they're going to rely on this, they're going to depend on that. I wouldn't recommend it. Standing up like before you take one of those flights and say, you know what, no one really knows what's going to happen in about 10 minutes after we take off. I would recommend you not do that. I think that would probably go very badly for you if you did. I, but nobody's there saying, welcome people of faith. You're believing the irrational today. You have no proof. That, I mean, no one's saying that because we all just know, based on what we've observed, based on the things we've seen, we can rely on this. When I open a, a bottle of ibuprofen, I mean, it would be madness to live going, we don't know what's in that bottle. We don't know. I mean, it's got four safety seals, but we don't know. You don't know. I mean, none of us play that. You couldn't do that. You couldn't do that forever. You'd go crazy if I bring it into a relationship realm. So year after year after year that goes by, 
in the marriage of Shauna and I. There is trust. And no, no one says there, well, you can either have marriage or science. No one thinks, like, we know you can't, it's not mutually exclusive. But every day I wake up and place trust in a relationship that's proven faithful again and again. I mean, this is the way we live. Every day we rely on promises that a person makes, that people make, or we'd be paralyzed. We have relationship based on relying. We rely on consistency. We rely on someone's character, on their moral compass, on the decisions that they will make. Of someone, they've kept their promises in the past, we can count on them again. We rely on the differences we see of someone, the way they live their life versus the way someone else lives their life. We rely on relationships. Someone says they trust something, we then often find it easier to trust something as well. We rely on the experiences of others that we observe or we hear about. So yes, we don't know the future. Yes, we don't possess 100% of the knowledge we might need in any given situation. Yes, we don't have the capability to see all our decisions through their preferred outcome. But somehow, somehow, somewhere we're convinced that we can walk in faith in all kinds of realms in our lives. Is it our intuition? Is it because we have enough data? Is it because of our experiences? Is it because of the referrals and the recommendations? Is it because we just don't have any other good options? Something is pushing us all the time, and we're convinced, I can believe this. I can rely on this. Faith is a relationship, and I want to talk in just a moment specifically on who we're relying on. Faith is a relationship of reliance it's not a leap in the dark, but it's also not just optimism either. Again, we're, we're trying to make sure we understand exactly what we're talking about when we talk about faith. So faith isn't just an optimism or a belief in a higher power. And again, I feel like I, we hear this kind of like language come up of like, I, I'm just, I'm a spiritual person, I'm a person of faith. And you kind of push into that a little bit and you get something that, that's basically someone says, I think the sun will come out tomorrow. I just have faith. Like faith in what? Weather patterns? I, you know, faith in, faith in optimism, faith in faith itself. Or someone just says, you know, I, I, have a, I, I think there's a bigger picture out there. I think there's a higher, you know, it's like, okay, that can be what you're talking about. I think the Bible is talking about something entirely different than just uh, a generic nebulous higher power or the idea that there's a bigger picture out there, it gets like really, really specific in Scripture. It's a relationship of reliance. It's not just optimism or some thought of a higher power will make everything work out okay. It's actually a lot like, I think at least comparative to when a friend that I know I can send a text and go, hey, when you have a minute, can you give me a call? And this is what I know. Because it's a relationship of reliance, I know he will, when he does have a minute, he will call. And I know he will care. And I know he will help. And I know he will speak the truth to me. It's a relationship of reliance. Go back to scripture, we're told to take up that shield of faith. So this isn't just like, I guess there's a bigger picture out there. 
this isn't just, let's just all take a big leap in the dark. The shield of faith is a relationship of reliance. And what's interesting, if we could switch gears a little bit on this idea of, of a shield that protects us, I want us to think about, like, exactly who we are relying on and what he has to say about this whole thing. When I talk about faith, I hate oversimplifications. I do not like them. So when you talk about faith, it's easy to say like, well, it's complex and it's nuanced and there's layers and there's a, a, a thousand aspects to it. And yet, interestingly, this week I was looking at, I was looking at multiple times how Jesus talks about faith. And for all the times I want to make it so complicated, again and again, Jesus just like makes it really, really simple and says, believe, believe. Like, put your faith in me, believe in me. I'll share these references, uh, hopefully tonight, tomorrow, on the ogletown.org battleground page, but I, I jotted down like Matthew 9, Matthew 17, Mark 5, Mark 9, Luke 8, John 4, John 11. I mean, it's just again and again where it gets really simple. It's not that complex, and he's not meaning to say this 13 ways in which you have to have a you know, nuclear science degree. I mean, he is saying at its core, Jesus calls on people like you and me to believe. I think about that time where the worst news that a parent could ever get, Jesus is with a parent when they get that news, your child's not alive. And this is what Jesus says in Luke 8:50. Jesus, on hearing this, answered him. Do not fear, he says to this parent. Only believe, and she will be well. And frankly, the more I read of the Gospels this week, the more he said that. Things just like it. Believe. Believe in me. And before you think I... I I'm just making like a blanket promise that faith is like somehow some sort of spiritual vending machine where we have faith, we put that in and we get out whatever we want to. I don't, I don't believe that at all. I don't believe that we can just kind of name it and claim it. I don't believe it works like that at all. I am saying though, Jesus regularly would tell people like you and I, believe in me. Put your confidence in me that your life is going to be okay that things are going to work out okay when my will is done. Jesus said it regularly. He calls on people to believe in him, his character, his power, his love, rely on him. They don't know the future. You don't either. I don't either. But they have to be confident enough to believe. It's not even often with Jesus so much about the quantity of faith of like, we need to get that faith meter up really, really high. I think in other ways, he's saying it's like just like the smallest seed possible. Like it's, it's just this simple. Kids do this all the time. Believe. Believe. Believe in me. One slogan in an ad campaign right now is, it's not that complicated. That voice has been in my ear this week. I've thought about that in areas where I'm tempted to go like, oh, this one's hard. This is, this is is like, well, this is kind of like how, Curtis, just believe. It's the same thing I want to say to my kids pretty regularly on this. Every parent does. Like, just trust me on this. Like, I know my voice is more like the adults and the Charlie Brown. You know, it's like, I understand that, but just trust me on this. Trust me on this. I know what I'm talking about. 
And if I can say that to my own kids and say, just trust me on this, to an infinite degree more, what is it like when the Lord who says all things in heaven and earth are mine, like my, under my authority, when he says that person who is weak and confused and anxious and weary and gotten knocked down a peg or two because they were overconfident, he says, believe my goodness, believe my wisdom, believe my love. As a matter of fact, Ephesians 2, what I love about it is faith is even called a gift. It is a gift that we receive. But I feel like this is one of those deals where it's like a gift we receive. Christmas morning, you've got the gift. Now it's like, now it's time to open it. Like you've been given a gift of faith. Now it's time to utilize this gift you've been given to exercise it. Open, believe it, believe in him. While it's not that complicated, while I think Jesus would say that a a dozen times this week to me to calm my heart if he were in flesh, like riding, riding along with me, he would say, Curtis, just believe, trust me. It's not complicated, but it does get difficult. I don't want to pretend. It can be very hard to believe when I realize my own weakness, when we realize we don't have the strength, when we're lacking resilience, like I used to be able to bounce back and now not so much, when I feel like I'm under this layer of pressure. It's one thing if it's like one layer, but then it's another, and then it's another, and then it's another, and at the end you go, I, 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 don't, think, I don't think this is going to go well or you're facing addictions, or you're facing fears, and you realize, I'm not sure I have enough. And you could, in that moment, you could cave to cynicism, which would say, God, you probably can help me, but you probably won't. I doubt you will. I guess you could, but you probably won't. And in that moment, still Jesus would say to you, in that moment, in your weakness, he would say, believe. Believe. Your faith is a shield for you. And as you believe, the shield comes up. And the fiery arrows coming in are extinguished. It's hard to exercise faith. It's it's difficult when we feel weak, and it's difficult when it gets dark. I was thinking this morning, it was like a perfect analogy for this. I was driving to church pretty early in this, mor- this morning, and it was like crazy foggy. It's one of those mornings, like you, you, you don't have this that often where it is fog everywhere, and it seems like you, you're driving, and I normally like, I feel like I'm a decent driver. I'm normally not 10 and 2, though. You know, it's not, I normally like, I get the job done. I, I don't cause wrecks, that sort of thing. Today, though, it's like 10 and 2, and I'm like, my eyes are scanning. Are there, is there going to be a deer? Is there going to, you know, it's like, it's so dark. And at those times when life seems like, I'm not sure there is a clear path forward. And it seems like this has gotten really, really foggy and really, really hard to read exactly what I'm supposed to do. And then we start wondering, like, do I, have I been taught a lie? Is this the, the truth? Do I need to like think of a, a different kind of life, a different kind of lifestyle? I, I don't know. I don't know which voices to listen to. I, I'm losing my way. I'm, things are changing, and they don't seem like they're changing for the better. It seems like lots of things are threatening to me. In that moment, I could, I could, and you could, you could cave to unbelief. You could say, I'm not, I, I'm not even sure I even know who God is anymore. 
I'm not sure of anything, but in that moment, still, this is what Jesus would say to you. He would not write you off in the moment, by the way. He would not write you off in that moment. But I do think he would say to you, believe. Believe. And as you believe, your faith becomes that shield for you. Your shield comes up. Fiery arrows are extinguished and you're protected. Believe in me. And we can believe in him because he is 100% trustworthy. Not everything in life can make that like 100% kind of claim. I could tell you like, you know, this time of day, I-95 and 495, you should be able to get wherever you want to go on that. Like, it it should be okay, but I can't guarantee that. It could be a parking lot out there right now. I I don't know. You don't know. And I could tell you certain restaurants, like, if you want to get a good burger, that's where you get a good burger. If you want to get a good sub, if you want to go, if you need that ingredient, you always go to that grocery store. But I can't guarantee that. You might, you might have a terrible burger at a place and, that I recommended because 99 times out of 100, but you happen to, I mean, that, we all know that. And yet there are some things that like 100% really matters. I want bridges to be reliable 100% of the time. I'm glad when helmets work 100% of the time. And this is one of those situations where it has to be 100% or it's catastrophic. If we've placed our faith in Jesus and it's mostly reliable, it begins to fall apart. We need Jesus' reliability rating to be 100%. And scripture says it is. It is. You can 100% trust him to be be good and to be for our good. Romans 5 says it this way, while you were a sinner, while I was a sinner, Christ died for us. If God didn't hold, hold back his only son, Romans 8 puts it this way, then we can be 100% convinced he's for our good. Because on the cross, we know he is 100% for us. We can trust him to be good. We can trust him 100% to be wise with what he's doing. The cross was displaying the wisdom of God. And this is what's amazing. The world looks at it and goes, hey, really? A person on a cross saves everybody? Seems like foolishness. And, and what Paul says is God takes the foolishness of this world to con- and confounds the wise with it. It's like, how And for 2,000 years, people of all kinds of ethnicities and nationalities, speaking all kinds of languages, all kinds of socioeconomic status, look and go, you want to see how wise God is? Look at the cross and look at the empty tomb. How good he is, how wise he is, how powerful he is, how powerful he is that he could trample over every evil authority through his death and resurrection, unrivaled, undefeated, unmatched. 100%. So when he says believe, are you going to do it? Are you going to believe those things about his goodness and about his wisdom, about his power? Are you going to let your heart rely on those promises? Are you going to bring up another, well, what about, what about, what? I mean, it it really does get simple. Time after time, Jesus says to people, believe. People in crisis moments, believe. And then one honest man, he, he kind of speaks for, I think, all of us in some ways. Again, 
He's facing the worst thing imaginable with his child. And he goes to Jesus in Mark 9 and he says, if you can do anything, would you have compassion on us and would you help us? And Jesus said to him, if, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said, and I think he just like, he speaks for me. I'm guessing he speaks for lots of us in this room. I believe. Help my unbelief. So if that's where we land today, yes, Lord, I believe. But I need you to help my unbelief. It's a relationship. That's what I've said. It's a relationship of reliance and relationships. They take time. The best ones take work. They, they get better over time. You need help for your unbelief. I think this is what Jesus would say to you. Ask the Father for that help in my name and he'll give it to you. You need help? You put your hand up and go, I need help. Ask the Father in my name and he will give you that help. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief and then you begin to build habits and rhythms that reinforce your understanding of God's character and his goodness and his wisdom. And you begin to trust him more because you know him better. This is one of those situations where like, have you ever gotten to know someone and it's like, it's better when I kind of observed him from a distance because the closer I've gotten, the more it feels like this is not a pretty picture. Yet this doesn't happen with our Lord. The closer you get, the more trustworthy you realize he is. And you go, like Larry reminded us, that the start of that walk with the Lord as you get closer and closer, you realize, I can trust him. And he's proven himself again and again and again. He hasn't left me. He never will. You fill your mind with reinforcing truth. I know in my life, music plays such a critical part in this. So what are you filling your mind with? What, what kind of songs are you like letting verbalize your thoughts and out, out the song comes when it's just you know you and the lord and the radio you know it's like what comes out in those moments is that like confessions of like i do believe this so lord help my unbelief i wonder what friendships in your life you have have you spent time building those so that those moments when you're across the table from someone with you know for lunch or coffee or whatever and you go either i've gone crazy or i'm going crazy and by the end of it, you realize, I need to trust in the Lord. You've got present evil world that we're living in with hostile spiritual forces opposing everything God has created. There are strategies and schemes of the evil one, and if that's not enough, fiery darts coming in. And God has given us so many things Certainly he's given us one more thing that I would say you need help in the unbelief and the doubt in the cynicism category. And I really don't know any other way than for you to spend extended time in God's word. I almost couldn't believe it when uh, Larry opened our service. We had not talked about this, but he opened our service in Psalm 91. Because Psalm 91 is like, this is the shield of faith like coming up. The psalmist says, he who dwells in the shelter of the Most High. I mean, some have said even the shield of faith imagery is from this very psalm, but the, 
He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So I will say to the Lord, like shield of faith comes up, you're my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I'm going to choose to believe these things about the Lord and his disposition toward me. And it's almost as if the psalmist is giving words that, I mean, words inspired by God, the words that the Lord is saying toward us because he, because you, because he or she holds fast to me in love, I will deliver. I will deliver. That person won't be decimated. I will protect. That person won't be exposed because she knows my name. When, when, when he calls to me, I will, I will answer. I won't be silent. I will be with him in trouble. She won't be alone. I will rescue him. He won't be destroyed. I will honor him. He won't be ashamed. With long life, I will satisfy him. He won't be disappointed. I will show him my salvation, not left in the dark. I wonder if like time spent even in Psalm 91, just, again, I'm not saying it's, it's not a difficult world. Surely it's a difficult world, and you need, a, you need a shield, you need protection. And I wonder if even the words that were penned maybe 3,000 years ago and beautiful Hebrew poetry translated into English become the shield to go, I will believe in God. One more thing may even build our faith. And that is that tangible reminder we have of the Lord's Supper. So as you came in, I hope you got bread and juice. I hope that was handed to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, it is certainly open to you to remember. And I think why we needed a tangible reminder is just as, just as Christ's body was broken for us, we need to remember. We need to remember like in this body, not just in, in some sort of spiritual realm, but also in our body, we need a tangible reminder. Yes, his body was broken for me. His blood was shed for me. I want to ask, I want to ask the Lord that we would hear those words and that would be mixed with faith. We would believe them. And in just a moment, we'll receive this together. Father, help us as we observe the Lord's Supper, as we remember who you are and what you've done, as we call to mind the truth. Help us as we take even this step of faith where we remember what you did and we remind ourselves it was for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he took his took bread and he said, this is my body. It's been broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of him, we take it. It says, after dinner, he took a cup and he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of him, we take it. As long as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. I want us to even verbalize our belief. So I'm going to invite you to stand and our worship team's going to come. We're going to sing a song and it really is a song of confession. And again and again, we are going to say, I believe, I believe, I believe. And, and let your words remind us, like let, let even the words we're singing be that shield of faith that strengthens us for the battlegrounds we face.